really are truly glad to be here. We started our trip to Grimes in 2007. We had been uh, in Cedar Rapids for about 14 years and come time to retire. And uh, as Jason mentioned, we have a daughter in Johnson. We have a son in Urbandale, and Grimes made a really perfect good place. So uh, we met this young pastor from uh, Arkansas at the state convention in 2007, and we came over and visited this little upstart church in Grimes meeting in a uh, high school uh, Everybody was sitting around tables at the time, really sort of a strange configuration, but, but, but we liked them. We didn't come. God sent us to Maine. And um, I won't tell you the whole story except to tell you that the day we left Cedar Rapids in 2008, it started to rain. Two weeks later, Cedar Rapids was under nine feet of water. And we were not affected by any of it. He sent us to a little church in uh, Scarborough, Maine. Had about 42 people in attendance. Uh, we were there one week. We were there the next week. And then the third week, the pastor resigned. Jason survived. He's still here. <laughs> Three weeks ago, that church disbanded for a good reason. They merged with First Baptist Church of Gorham, Maine, and now have two campuses with an average of attendance of about 250 people. But it was my privilege during the time in Maine to uh, uh, do just this. Uh, Maine, sort of like Iowa in the older days, would have people who, uh, pastors who come up from the south. Uh, they'd come in the spring, go through a beautiful summer, find five feet of snow in their front yard in the winter and head back down to Carolina or wherever. And my job was to go into churches and and remind them that God was still in control and uh, didn't revolve around their pastor. So I'm excited to be here. I really am. You will soon learn that I am not a preacher. Uh, God called me to be a teacher. I taught my first Sunday school class in 1958 before most of you were born and now celebrate over 60 years of sitting in front of classes. So I approach my time standing before you more as a teacher than as a preacher, but I've got a word for you. And uh, I think it's timely as we come in uh, through this series in Proverbs to maybe take just a little time out. So let me stop, pray for us. While I'm doing that, if you'll grab your Bible or turn on your electronic device and find way in the back 1 John, because we're going to play around in there for, for, for quite a while for, for, this, for this message. Father, we thank you for this time, for your spirit that is already here, for your presence. Bless the sharing of your word. Uh, Bless the hearts that receive it. Uh, Lead us now as we look into uh, what it's like to live within the shadow of your spirit. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. How many of you through either vacation, Bible school, Sunday school class, memorized Galatians 5, the fruits? And if you notice up there that I've pluralized it. It's not that way in the scriptures. Uh, But scriptures tell us that the Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But that list was never meant to be exhaustive nor exclusive. The Spirit produces in us other things like empathy, sympathy, humility, discernment, and what we're in the midst of studying now, wisdom. All are fruits of the Spirit. All the Spirit produces this kind of experience in our life. My question for us this morning 
is that if that is true, if the Spirit it produces this kind of fruit in our life, why aren't we experiencing it? Is it true in your life that you experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Is that something that you're experiencing today? What does that look like? What does life in the Spirit look like? Fortunately, we are not left to be ignorant. God has shared some insights into that, and that's what we're going to look into. Uh, I have to take a moment here and say that I first came across this particular outline uh, by a little article from a fellow by the name of J.C. Riley, and uh, being the good teacher that I am, I uh, rearranged the bullet points, uh, uh, grabbed some other, other examples, and put it into what I think is, is, is more presentable. So, uh, uh, we were talking. We were t- we were talking in in, in our uh, uh, group uh, about preaching other people's message. This isn't somebody else's message. This is mine. But but uh, Charles Stanley said, you know, I don't mind somebody firing my bullets if they just use their own powder. So that's what I'm doing this morning. That's 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 what I'm doing this morning. Next slide. If we're going to experience the fruit of the Spirit, we have to be born of the Spirit. In the third chapter of John, uh, in the conversation that most of you know that uh, Jesus is having with a fellow by the name of Nicodemus, who comes to him and says, you know, how, you know, how can I be great? How can I be saved? How, all of this. And, and Jesus stops all of that nonsense and says, I tell you what, you've got to be born again. You've got to start a new life. You've got to come under the Spirit. And you notice that it's very imperative. The Scripture doesn't say that he said, you know, it might be a good idea. If you were, you know, it might be beneficial in your life. People will like you. If you're going to experience the fruit of the Spirit, you must be born again. You've got to start all over with a second birth. There was a time in the 80s when born-again Christian flourished, and then it became a negative thing. But the Scripture remains true and remains faithful, and it's unchanged. If we're to have that experience, we're to be born again. Turn in your Bibles back, back to 1 John. And uh, we take a look at what it's like to live in the Spirit. Now, you're going to be bouncing back and forth, uh, so, so follow with me, if, if you will. One of the neat things when they do expository uh, preaching, like through, through the Proverbs, you can go straight, straight in the line. We're going to have to jump. So we're going to, we're going to start out in... Uh, 1 John 5, 1. Next slide there. I've got the uh, NIV version here. Let me see if I can find that. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. If you must be born of the Spirit, how does that happen? You have to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Let me clarify two terms. I'm going to put my teacher hat on here for you for just a second. Gospel is simply the correct telling of God's story. A spell is a correct... How many of you had spelling tests in, in school? Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you, if you didn't put the letters in the right order, what happened? Little, little red check marks, right? Yeah. So, so, so to, to, te- to spell a word is to put the letters in the right order. God's spell, or the gospel, is putting God's story, not particularly in its chronological order, but in its right order. And you have to realize that the point of the gospel in the past 
in the present and in the future hinges on acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the one sent of God. And we have to know the, and, and understand the whole story. We know that God spoke everything into existence. We know that he parted the Red Sea. We know that he closed the mouths of the lions. We, we know that. We know that he sent his son to be born of a virgin, to lead a sinless life, to be wrongly accused, to be crucified on a cross, to be buried, to raise again in three days. To be born of the Spirit is to look at Jesus Christ and say, He's the Messiah. He's the point of the gospel. He's the focal point. Without that, we have no hope, no love, no joy, no peace, no kindness, none of the fruit of the Spirit, because it starts there. How does that happen? Teacher had again. Through confession. The world today has often confused admission with confession. How many have had experience with a two-year-old? Okay. How many have had them come to you, that sweet little face, him or her, look you straight in the eye, and tell you the biggest bald-faced lie in the world, <laughs> right? Did you mark the crayons on the wall? No, the cat did it, <laughs> right? But it's about your height, and, and you'll finally maybe get an, an admission there. Some of uh, us older folks remember the Perry Mason series, and I think they're on reruns after reruns. What happened in the last few minutes of every Perry Mason episode? What? Somebody jumped up and confessed, right? Yeah, yeah. Said, said I, I really did it because they were mean to me or, or, or whatever. That's really not a confession. That's an admission. Confession comes from two words and that, that adequately uh, explain the concept. Um, one of the root words is fessio. We get our word vision from it in video to see. Con means the same. You know, if you have a congruent circle, they have the same center. You know, uh, if you have a contemporary, you live at the same time. So confession is seeing the same as who? As the Father. When you look at your sins the same way the Father does, when you understand how much it hurts him, and when you understand how much it cost him to pay the penalty for that sin, you are then in confession and you change it. We talked about two-year-olds. Let's talk about teenagers. Who has had teenagers in the house? Yep. Who has been a teenager in the house? There we go. Familiar scene. It's a special occasion. The teenager comes to you and says, Can I stay out till 11 o'clock? Being good parents, say, How about 1130? Okay. Okay. <laughs> 12 o'clock, nobody's coming through the front door yet. 12.15, come through the door, and you hear, we had to take Mary Lou home first, we had a flat tire, I got engrossed in time, you know, all of that. What do you want to hear? Gee, Dad, I'm sorry. I understand how much I worried you by being late. I understand how my actions have hurt you. We don't get that. Our Heavenly Father longs for that same kind of confession from us. When we see our sins, the way that it hurts Him, the way that it is contrary to His will, 
and we, in our heart, have true, genuine remorse, then we are at the point of being born again. It starts with confession. Understanding what the gospel is. Next slide. We need to uh, flip over to about 417. And in my Bible, that's in two, two different pages. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. Uh, he cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. Uh, you'll also find that uh, in, in 5.18. And any time the scriptures mention something twice, you better pay attention to it. Because God considers it so important that he reiterates it over in, in, uh, in 5.18 in the first part. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Salvation, born again, starts with confession, but it results in repentance. When we have the Spirit in us, our life is changed. In fact, that's the mark of a born-again believer. If we have our experience with the Holy God, who has sent his son to redeem us, and we have placed our lives under that, and if we continue to live as we've always done, that experience is not genuine. We will be changed. You've all heard the simple explanation of repentance, turning around and going the other direction. When we are in confession, when we see how much our sin has hurt God, and when we have uh, come to him and confessed it, then we change our lives and we repent of what we've been doing. The alcoholic puts down the bottle. The addict quits shoving that stuff up their arm and in their nose. And there. The philandering spouse comes home. The cheating businessman stops lying, keeps an honest set of books. The gossip shuts up and quits going. The life that we were leading turns and goes another way. In Cedar Rapids, our pastor lived next to the house. Uh, pastor's house was next to the church. And uh, just past them was a bridge over a little creek that was dry probably 360 days of the year. But as traffic built up on the, on the road, as, as growth in, the bridge became inadequate, and they took the bridge out. And for two intersections back, there was a great big sign saying, Bridge out. Find an alternate road. The next intersection, bridge out, alternate road. At the bridge, bridge out. Then our pastor's wife come in one day laughing, and she said, everybody's repenting in our front yard. <laughs> they're going down the road, and when they finally realize that the bridge is out, they're pulling into our driveway and turning around and seeking an alternate route. Okay. Paul, in his uh, letter to the Ephesians, if you turn over to uh, Ephesians 4, and I didn't give you a warning for that. If you want to just listen, let me read that, because he talks, talks here. This is one example. This is not, again, not exhaustive, not totally, but 17 says, uh, or, or 417, he says, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in futility and in their thinking. You can't live like the world and remain in the Spirit. Here's what repentance looked like. Uh, if you jump down to 25 and we're going, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truth to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body, one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down 
while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come into uh, your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Uh, that is the benefit those who will listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as Christ forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering sacrifice of God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, greedy person, such a man as an idolater, will have any inheritance in God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Life in the Spirit entails turning from the life of sin, repentance. That was the message that John the Baptist had as a precursor to, to, to Jesus as he called the people to confess their sins and repent and turn away. And we cannot have the fruit of the Spirit grow in our lives if we have not turned away from continual, habitual sin. Now, will we err? Can Christians sin? Absolutely. We'll offend somebody. We'll, uh, you know, we'll uh, have moments of greed and anger and, and such. But life in the Spirit entails confession and understanding how that hurts God and how we repent from that and turn turn away. Life in the Spirit entails acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah, entails turning away from continual habitual sin. Uh, flip over, if you will, now to 229. Yeah, first John. Yeah, we're excuse me. Yeah, we're still in first John. My my apologies. Okay. It says if you know that he is righteousness, if that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him or has been born again. Here's the progression. Confession, repentance, and now we're free to do just the opposite. We have turned away from continual habitual sin, and now we go to acts of righteousness. Righteousness is just a fancy word for just doing the right thing. Uh, Psalm 91.1 says that he who dwells under the protection of the, of the Most High God lives in the shadow of the Almighty. We'll come to that in, in a moment in, in, in another, another passage. But as we place, place our lives under God, under the Father, we lead a life that is different. In the Sermon on the Mount, about Matthew 5.20, Jesus tells his disciples and through us that your righteousness, your right doing, <clears throat> excuse me, has to exceed that of the Pharisees. Now that's a hard standard because in those days nobody kept the law 
kept the ordinances of God more meticulous than the Pharisees. They counted out little grains of mustard seed to make sure that their tenth was, was paid. Pharisees didn't lie, they didn't cheat, they didn't steal, they didn't murder. And Jesus tells them and tells us that it's going to be impossible to see the kingdom of God if our righteousness doesn't outdo, exceed that of the Pharisees. But then he goes on and proceeds to tell them how to do it. Pharisees didn't murder. God's people don't murder, but not only that, they get rid of anger in their heart. Pharisees didn't steal. God's people don't steal. But we get rid of greed and avarice and envy. Pharisees didn't commit adultery. God's people don't commit adultery. But we also get rid of lust in our heart. How do you out-Pharisee a Pharisee? Change of heart. Change of heart. When Paul writes to one of the uh, churches and talks about not the fruits of the Spirit, but the gifts of the Spirit, what does he say is the greatest? What does he say? Money, help me out. The greatest is love. Right, okay. When Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit, what's number one? Love. When Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay. So the motivation for our right doing is not obedience to a set of rules and regulations, but obedience to a changed heart that has come under the control of Jesus Christ. We love because he first loves us, James, James tells us. Out of that, we get to do the hard things. We have to turn the other cheek, walk a second mile, give our shirt with a, with a cloak. We have to pray for our enemies. We have to bless those that persecute us. That doesn't seem like fertile grounds for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, but it is because it frees us from the restrictions. Okay. Then we get to do all the good things. We get to feed the hungry. We get to clothe the naked. We get to give water to thirsty. Remember Jason's first message of the year? We get to share the living water with a world that needs a drink. Life in the Spirit entails turning from continual habitual sin and turning to acts of righteousness. Now, we're not all going to do the same thing. I'm never going to go to a foreign country and be a missionary, and I never was. I, I have a hard enough time with English, much less some other language. And if they don't have hamburgers, I'm out of luck. <laughs> you know. But God calls somebody to do that. I'm not going to feed every hungry person. But God has called somebody to do that. For your benefit, I'm not going to be up here every Sunday, but God has called someone to share living water. We all are not exempt from positive acts of righteousness because the fruit of the Spirit will not grow in us if we plant ourselves in these chairs and move no further. Life in the Spirit acknowledges Jesus as the Messiah, turns from continual habitual sin, and turns to acts of righteousness. Flip with me, next, next slide. 
we're, we're uh, into the second part of 518. The one who is born of God keeps himself safe. Remember we talked about the psalm that says that the one who uh, uh, dwells under the protection of the God Most High lives in the shadow of God Almighty. And by the way, the word is Shaddai, El Shaddai. If you've, if you've seen, seen, seen the song. Jason told you we uh, are be between our first time coming to Grinds and our second time we, we spent years in, in Maine. We arrived there in April and we were only less than two miles from the beach and while they were working on renovating our living quarters uh, we spent many an afternoon down at the beach but we we were there one evening sitting in our, our chairs uh, old folks with our shiny white skin as compared to everybody else and the beach wasn't too crowded but there were some people about maybe 30 40 feet over there and about 20 feet in, in, in there and uh, we're enjoying the afternoon breeze and, and uh, all of a sudden there's people way over here jump up start flapping their beach towels and their blankets and run off the beach. The next thing we know, the people about 20 feet from us are jumping up, flapping their beach towels and, and blankets and run off the beach. The next thing you know, my feet felt like they were on fire. And I looked down and horse flies black flies, carnivorous cannibalistic black flies <laughs> were chewing on my leg and blood was trickling down there and we too jumped up and screamed and ran off the beach. Our daughter-in-law, who we lived with, was a native Mainer, said, what do you do to protect yourselves from the black flies? And she said, you can't do anything about them. They come every year at this time. Long-time Mainers will take and not wear shorts during the season. In fact, they'll wear long pants and put rubber bands around them to make sure they come out. Uh, if they're going to be out during, during that season, they'll put on beekeeper-type hats and protect themselves. You have to keep yourself safe from that. So it is with a born-again Christian. We keep ourselves safe to enjoy the fruits of, of, the, of the Spirit. Ladies, who did the study on the armor of God? There's, who else? Who else? Next slide. Okay. God has not left us without protection. He has given us, and, and uh, this is an the helmet of salvation, I'm reading at the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, shield of faith, sword of the spirit, uh, feet shod in, in peace. In 2018, when we look at that, we think, gee, that's sort of antiquated. But understand that that was a very common experience at the time of the writer. Every little community throughout the Roman Empire had a garrison of soldiers. And this was a common sight. I'll point to what you're looking at. I'm looking at it up here. This was a common sight on, on every street. The Roman soldier was an ever-present sight in every little town. And so when Paul refers to the things that protect us, he used what... Next slide. I'm trying to hurry. 2018, we too have the protection. We have the very thing that we're talking about here. Our primary source of protection is that we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, convicting us of those things that we do wrong, reminding us of what we need to, to, do, to do right. 
And he is with us whether we're sitting among a group of believers or whether we're all by ourselves and no one's around. One of the definitions of character is what you're like when nobody else is there. The Holy Spirit guides our character and keeps our lives, and he is available to us today because he lives within the born-again believer. He lives within you and I. We have the written word. We have the scriptures. In, I guess about eight years ago, I had the privilege of uh, being on the nominating board for the Southern Baptist Convention, and they flew us out of uh, New England down to, to, to Nashville, and right next to the headquarters is probably the biggest Lifeway Christian store that you could imagine. And during one of the breaks, several of us went over there and, of course, had, had to go through it. There were about six or seven aisles of Bibles. And you named the translation, whether you wanted it in hardback, paperback, genuine leather, imitation leather, red, blue, green, polka dot, whatever. They were there. They were there. But then there were another 20-plus aisles of books about the Scriptures. I urge you to look to the source. Look to the source. Think, of, think about all the commentaries. Uh, in Cedar Rapids, one of the biggest employers there is Rockwell Collins. If you're familiar with them. Every new employee in management level and up was required to read the seven habits of highly successful people. Nobody knew what to do with it, but it was required reading. And so we sold lots of them where in, in the store that was in. Nobody told them to look to the book, to look to the source of honesty and integrity. And get it. You know, you can get advice about any, any, anything today. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I'm okay, you're okay. I'm okay, he's not okay. He's okay, I'm not okay. You know, uh, you can read about the uh, successful habits of... Uh, seven-foot, left-handed, red-headed giants. Uh, you know, if, if you want to, you name it, it's out there. You can find a confusion of source, but those who are born of the Spirit will talk to the Spirit and they'll do it through His Word that has been preserved and protected for us. David said, Your Word have I hidden in my heart so that I wouldn't sin against you. We will... Take on protection. How about this? Prayer. We don't have to go talk to a little man in a box to get to God. We don't have to burn so many candles, uh, chant so many chants. We have a high priest who intercedes for us, and he is Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father, and we have direct access to them. Why wouldn't we do that? Why would we muddle through this world and not talk to the Father and say, let me tell you, I hurt in this situation. I don't understand how to deal with this. I praise you for how you have handled this situation in my life. It's hard to be angry with somebody if you're praying for them. Get rid of anger. Life in the Spirit entails communicating with the Father. It means talking to Him. Now, it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't, doesn't have to be uh, flowery. It doesn't have to be in King James English. You don't have to throw in a thee and a thou every, every now and then to make it valid. You just got to talk with the Father. You just got to communicate. He has given us access to him so that in this world we are protected. 
through prayer. He's given us, you folks, us, the church, a body of believers, folks who live strangely like us, you know, who tell the truth, who give back change when too much is given to us, who say prayers before we eat, who speak kindly, who develop this. He's given us resources in time of grief, people that will pray for us and with us and supply. He's given us the church. In fact, the church is described as the bride of Christ that he's coming back to reclaim someday. The church helps protect us so that in our lives, the Spirit can produce fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. By the way, if you want to know how to remember that, love, joy, and peace comes with a package of figs. PKG, patience, kindness, goodness, figs, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Without that, I would get terribly lost in, in there. We said earlier, God doesn't call us to, to sit in these chairs. He's given us a mission. There's an old adage that idle hands are what? Devil's workshop, okay? So every Christian, every born-again believer has a mission, has a purpose, has a direction. Some of it is to go spread the gospel to the entire world. Some of it is to walk next door and give them an apple pie. Some of it is to read to, to children who have no books. Some of it is to proclaim the word. But you are not without a mission. If you haven't discovered that purpose in your life, it's time to, it's time to look. Because the Spirit cannot produce its full fruit if you're in inactivity. And he's given us a mission. Quickly, a couple of things. We have some ordinances. We have some directions uh, that he's given to us he's to, to remind us of who we are and where we stand. Two of them, one we're going to celebrate, baptism. A beautiful picture of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Portraying that in the life of a believer. We can look back to that time and remind us of who we were, who we are, and who we will be. And that will bring protection into our, our life. We celebrate ever so often here the communion, the Lord's Supper. He's given us, said, remind yourself of who I am and what I've done. This bread, this wine is a symbol of what I've done for you. And if we focus on what, what he's done for us, the Spirit then can produce fruit in our life. The last thing, he's given us the one and others. We have the church as an institution, but I guarantee you, God will bring into your life that special individual that you can share your innermost hurts, your innermost joys, your innermost feelings with. The one that, that, that when crisis comes, you say, I'm going to call to pray with me. I'm going to lean on this person. You may be the one that God is calling on to be leaned upon. It may be your job to listen and not share. Your, God, your job to pray, but not gossip. And he's given us the church as an institution, but he's given us some very special friends. And it may be somebody in our family, it may be somebody at school, it may be somebody at work. I don't know where it is. But we are not left in 2018 without protection. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have the scriptures. We have prayer. We have the church. We have a mission to do. We have the ordinances to remind us. And we have one another. We are protected. The black flies of sin aren't going to get to us. Let's go to the next one.
into 5.4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Now, some of you may have a translation that says is victorious over the world, and some translations have conquers the world here. Uh, in Maine, they have three seasons. The biggest one is tourist season, and it lasts all year. It's, it's the tour boats and the leaf peepers and the snow skiers. Tourist season is all year round. They have black fly season that we talked about. And then they have the ominous mud season. When the spring thaw gets into the ground, dairy farmers here, Mel, do you have dairy cattle? Do you have dairy cattle? Okay. Okay. What 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 was it like? Yeah. What was it like to walk across a cow pen after a rain? Yeah. <laughs> you can. <laughs> yeah. Well, almost all of Maine during mud season becomes just thick gumbo. You walk across it and it sucks the LL Bean boots right off your feet. You know, it just, just goes. Again, our faithful daughter in law said, What do you do for mud season? She said, Two things. One is don't go. And second, if you get there, you just got to pull yourself out of it. You just got to overcome it. You've got to uh, rise above it. I want to remind you of a biblical picture. Book of Job. Okay. And, and I, have, I, I have great, great respect for Job. Uh, I worked uh, for about 14 years with a little company out of the Ozarks called Walmart. And I was there when um, the company newspaper said, we have 14,000 employees and we don't know how we're going to make payroll before they come down. But Sam Walton grew to be the world's richest man, one of the most influential people. So it was with Job. Job was the Sam Walton of his time, the Bill Gates, the Warren Buffetts. He had thousands of camels and thousands of donkeys. Why would you have that much? Because you had caravans of trade and you needed land to feed them. And, and uh, you know, his family was successful and each one of his kids had a, had a house and uh, he had everything. And in one day it was gone. And we see a picture of Job later on in the book sitting outside the city on a heap of ashes, dressed in sackcloth, scraping open sores with shards of pottery, suffering all the pain and anguish that uh, can happen to a man. And yet he looks up and says, I know my Redeemer lives. And though he slays me, I will praise him. What's it like to overcome the world? The world sneaks in on us so easily. Uh, Paul talks about the sin that so easily besets us. Uh, in the middle of a TV program will be the scene or the words or the situation that is inappropriate for the rest of the family. It shows up in your mailbox. Uh, I shared, shared the story back early in computer days. Uh, while we were still living in Cedar Rapids, we went to visit our youngest son uh, in Chicago, and he took us out to eat in a very big shopping area, but there was a monstrous pet store there. And they had probably an area 
as big as maybe this auditorium devoted to cat houses and towers and climbers and things. And we had two cats, okay? but we didn't have room in the car to, to buy one. So we thought, well, when we go, go home, we'll get, go online and we'll order the uh, tower. Thank God Johnny was sitting beside me. We sat down to the computer and said, you know, what do we type in? And so just casually I typed in cat house. <laughs> yeah, you know what I got. Naked lady spinning across the screen. <laughs> and there. Yeah. How long did it take us to clean the computer up? Months. Months. But it was just one click. And it was so easily, easily in. Those born of the Spirit will be protected from, from that through those protections that we talked about and will overcome the world and its, and its attraction. We'll walk away from the inappropriate conversation at the water cooler. We'll turn off the TV program that, that offends us. <coughs> By living in the shadow of the Most High, God Almighty, we can lead a protected life in this world. But I've got good news for you. If you're back in 1 John, turn a couple more pages over for, for most Bibles. <coughs> Excuse me. 1 John takes up only uh, a couple of pages. In, turn over to the book of Revelation and go to about the second chapter. And John, the same author of, of the letters to 1 John in his Revelation, records seven letters that Jesus writes to the churches of the, of the time. Some of the letters are condemnation. Some of the letters are... Uh, uh, are uh, commending them, but there's a common element in all seven. All seven make a promise to the one who either overcomes, depending on your translation, or who conquers evil, or who, who is victorious. Now, I'm going to read them to you here, and you can go along. We're, we're going we're to jump quickly. Understand that this is prophetic language, and I don't pretend to tell you all of it, but understand, get the big picture of, of, of the promise to the one who overcomes sin and disappointment and degradation in this life. We have a promise. Uh, I'm over in, in Revelation uh, to the letter at Ephesus, uh, verse uh, 227. To him who overcomes, I'll give the right to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Uh, to the church of Smyrna, uh, looking for and verse 11 he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death how about that no second death born of the spirit we've only got one death to face and it's this mortality without the spirit we've got another second death in there but the one who overcomes in this life doesn't doesn't suffer the second second death. uh to the to the church of smyrna he who overcomes will not be hurt at all but okay down to uh, the church of Pergamon, uh, to him who overcomes, I will give some hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Both uh, Thyatira, uh, to him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. We get to reign and rule with Christ. How neat is that? He who overcomes, uh, he who is worthy, he who overcomes, will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. Uh, to the church of Philadelphia, he who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him a new name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write him my new name to the church of Laodicea, to him who overcomes, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. 
seven promises. Overcoming sin in this world through the protection of the Holy Spirit says that we have a reward in heaven. And I can't tell you, but think about it. A white robe, presence with God, reigning with, with Christ. So not only do we get to enjoy the fruit of the spirits in this world, we get to experience it in the, in the next. I guarantee you, God will put you in a desolate place sometime. But think about it. When the children of Israel in their exodus needed time with God, what did he do? Put him out in the wilderness. When Jesus wanted time to prepare for his ministry, where did he go? Out to the wilderness to face the temptation. The children of Israel and Jesus overcame that. And so will it be in your life. When the knock on the door comes and says, uh, we have your son or daughter in jail. When the doctor walks out of the room and says, the tests are negative. When the employer comes in and says, you know, we no longer have needs of your services. That'll put us in a desperate place. But the presence of the Holy Spirit will in times of darkness give us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, wisdom, compassion, discernment, one another. One more point. Over to 314, and we've talked about this. And I have moved my... We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Now, we talked about the presence of one another helping us be in protection. It may be that you're not experiencing the fruits of the Spirit in your life because you may be hanging out with the wrong people. Those who are born of the Spirit want to be around other people who are born of the Spirit. If your closest confidant is not sitting in this room or in something just like it or experiencing the same relationship with the Father that you are, you probably have the wrong confidant. You're probably in the wrong place. Yes. That's why here at Crossroads, we have community groups so that we don't depend on Sunday morning to have our relationship with one another. We get with like-minded people where we can pray and discuss and share. And if you would experience the full growth of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, you'll get yourself in association with a fellow believer. Hopefully, you're married to one. That's been probably the number one blessing in my life, and I don't intend to embarrass her, but I am married to a godly woman. I have been super, super blessed. I hope that's true in your life, because the fruit of the Spirit can flourish. That's my message. What's it like to live in the Spirit? Confess Christ as your Savior. Repent of sin. Turn to righteousness. Protect your life. Overcome the problems of this world and get into community with the believer. Worship team, stay there. I told Jason I'm going to extend an offering, this, or an invitation. It's not an every head bowed, every... 
I'm going to declare these front steps an altar. An altar is just a place where you meet God. It can be a fancy gold inlaid table or it can be 12 stones stacked up beside a river. But if you have business to do with God this morning, if you would like to somehow straighten out something that, that would help the fruit of the Spirit grow in your life, this altar is open. If you're not comfortable here, there are people in the back who want to pray with you. If you don't want to do either, stand, sing, and pray for those that do. My time is over. It's now the time for the Spirit.